Welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Ali. Hard to believe it's been two years since I started the show. Honestly, it still feels very indie, and while there's quite a few things I want to improve, what really keeps me going is the excitement I have with everything I want to share with you all. Because on the show, what I really want to do is talk about our culture, our traditions, and history, and how that sort of interweaves and mingles with our food to really make cuisine a part of who we are. This kind of stuff fascinates me, and I think you'll find it captivating too. The biggest thing that's happened is that today there's a number of really amazing podcasts out there about proudly being Filipino. If you think about it, that's pretty amazing. There definitely wasn't this much content out there or this many voices from the Filipino community when I started, and it's only going to get better and bigger. If you haven't listened to shows like This Filipino American Life or Long Distance, which are two of my favorites, you guys need to right now. The reason I fell in love with podcasting in the first place is because it really just allows you to share a good story. At the end of the day, that's really what it is. On a technical side, it kind of democratizes this ability for us to share those stories with anyone in the world. And the really good ones, they're like listening to a friend, a friend you miss from back home. You can talk about anything, talk about life right now, what you're feeling, what you're thinking about. And for me, when you listen to someone who's a good storyteller, someone who can get you really into it and wrap you up in that story, it's amazing because then it makes you feel like you can be part of something bigger. Like, they get me. And I love it because when I first started writing about food, I didn't really know anyone who felt that same way as I felt about cooking, or really about the world in general. And exploring Filipino kitchens has been great for that because it's how I get to meet people like Jen De La Vega, who's an author, an editor, a caterer, and super skilled, don't put her in a box kind of person. She edits this magazine called Put an Egg on It, which I love because it's just as crazy fun and indie as I like it. And after I read her book called Showdown Comfort Food, I badly wanted to get to New York City ASAP. So I went, and it was great. Let's get to it. sitting in a lovely park in Brooklyn that is, uh, what's the name of this park? This is McCarran Park. Okay. <laughs> we're, in, we're in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. 
So we're on location today, and it's a beautiful sunny winter day, and I am here with Jen de la Vega. Welcome, Jen. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, so I was wondering if you could uh, start by introducing yourself and uh, tell us about what you're doing. Well, hello. I <laughs> have always been a person who juggled careers. I left my job in technology of four years to pursue cooking. On the side, in the mornings and at night, I would be cooking nonstop every day and exploring Filipino food, as you do, <laughs> but also other cultures that I was interested in, like Spanish food and classic French, so that I could build my skills for one day when I did have the time and the opportunity to pursue it, which is now. Um, yeah, so I'd be ready. I got in touch with Jen because I got a copy of Showdown Comfort Food. Oh, yeah. I'll start by asking if you can tell us about how the book came about because one thing that I really, really love about this book is that as as I read it, I felt like I was really drawn into, into your neighborhood and into oh. your world. And the detail that you give with the takedowns and, um, you know, sometimes forgetting things <laughs> like tongs <laughs> when you're out to go catering, it gives you kind of that like, I don't know if insider is the best word, but I kind of feel like I'm there with you. Yeah. <laughs> and in the vein of forgetting things, I also forget that I am an author. Page Street Publishing, which is the imprint that helped me release Showdown, they approached me, oh my gosh, I think it was two years ago, um, to write a book. And we sort of had trouble. We were brainstorming on the phone, like what we could write about. I have trouble focusing on topics. <laughs> like I have very interests. So I love all kinds of food. I have all kinds of career interests, but I really wanted to write a cookbook. It was in my five-year plan. It's <laughs> a good plan to have. Yeah, but it, we were moving the timetable up, so they were asking me <laughs> earlier than I thought, and I still had to put together a proposal and things like that. But um, I was looking around my apartment, and before we were about to hang up, I said, oh, uh, how do you feel about competitions? Mm -hmm. They're like, why? Why? And I'm like, well, I'm standing in front of a seven-foot trophy that I won um, maybe in 2012. And they're like, why did you have that? I'm like, oh, I, I forgot to tell you. I, I, I won these, uh, this barbecue series in Bed-Stuy, which is not known for its barbecue, but they're known for cookouts and sort of family gatherings. And um, there was a bar that hosted a friendly competition one summer. And I, I joined in thinking, oh, this is one way to get to know my neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that the format would be very intense. It, it was a NCAA bracket style elimination rounds all summer long. So there were maybe four times during the summer where we had to pretty much build a pop-up restaurant in the back of a bar. Whoa. And it was like throwing me into a pool, which is the best way for me to learn. <laughs> I love it's a sink or swim situation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love learning by doing, and we had to learn how to um, make a menu. We had to develop recipes week to week. Uh, we had to learn how to sell and price things, make vegetarian food. That was new to me. For barbecue, <laughs> Yeah. So it was really fun to innovate and iterate mm -hmm. very quickly, much like a startup does, but I think that competition really pushed me to keep going and to to keep creating and I got addicted to it so as as you read in in showdown I also started to participate in the takedowns which is a quarterly competition in Brooklyn um, there is a low bar of entry anyone can enter 
<laughs> in the beginning, there used to be an, um, a fee to participate, okay. but they took it away because they wanted more people. They wanted more diverse sets of talents and recipes and flavors. And again, like I said, I got addicted to the feeling <laughs> of, of competition and it wasn't necessarily winning. I lost a lot. I lost for maybe five years straight, <laughs> but I kept going because the people that you compete against become your friends and you get to try maybe 20 to 30 new dishes each time. And it, I don't know, I really loved it. And so Showdown, the book sort of round, rounds up 100 of the recipes that I've thrown into competition. I've gone through and fixed them. <laughs> I've tested them again. I've sent them around to friends and made sure that it actually tasted good this time around. And, you know, it was refined. And, and um, very much how you said that it, you, you get immersed in the story. Mm -hmm. I very purposefully structured the book so that you sort of were growing along with me. And the recipes get a little bit, you know, they grow in skill level. And um, kind of incorporate the concepts of using your leftovers. Mm -hmm. And the thing, of, the thing that I really, the thing that annoys me about other cookbooks is they introduce a specialty ingredient to you. And you never see it again. And you never see it again. <laughs> and so I made sure that either it was threaded through the book okay, or yeah. that there were notes in the back on how to use it, mm -hmm. use up your leftovers. I don't like wasting things. It's a very Filipino thing. You don't like to waste. <laughs> but that's what I loved about the book as well, because apart from being written in a very like conversational tone and mm -hmm. uh, having things like lumpia chips, like it's a very common ingredient. But then you're like, oh, you know, you really can like serve this in a non-traditional manner. Yeah, and, like that's the fun part of it. It puts that ingredient front and center, uh, not wasting it, and at the same time you just serve it to people and like have fun. <laughs> I like that you caught that because in this book it's not. Filipino focused, yeah. but there are notes of it. Lumpia chips are like nachos, and that is something that as a Filipino-American child in Northern California who had a Taco Bell nearby, that was, you know, very nostalgic for me mm -hmm. to combine both my 90s childhood with, yeah. <laughs> with, you know, a nod to the past, but also introducing people to this new ingredient. Mm -hmm. Even sort of challenging the traditional Filipino notion of oh it should only be rolled mm -hmm. or it should only be you know fried yep. like there are you can bake it bake. you can bake it <laughs> whoa <laughs> <laughs> I mean other people have talked about this uh, at length about how food is really an entry point or a gateway into learning about culture and really getting other people to kind of have a similar or share an experience I guess with them and one thing that I love about talking with people in the food industry or people who cook, like you mentioned earlier, you iterate a lot and that's just the process of, oh, this doesn't like taste as great as I think it should be, so mm -hmm. you're going to try it again next time. And there's the spirit of just wanting to do it because you want to get better and even if it's just a competition against yourself. There's a lot of that, yeah. Can I do that better next time? Yeah. Yes, I can. <laughs> Did that drive um, your recipe structure and recipe building for like the showdown recipes? Yeah, it did. Um, as soon as I found out I had lost like a competition, I was already in my head making notes or on my phone making notes like <laughs> next time do this. And it's not just... I'm not just cooking for me, mm -hmm. I've realized over time. I mean, that sounds so obvious, but 
I'm accommodating all kinds of palettes and experiences. And so I've learned to, I, there's a paragraph about this in the book, I've learned to under-season. That's okay, because I found, as, as I've taken this book to other cities, mm-hmm. and sort of in the Midwest and Pennsylvania, and mm-hmm. it was interesting to hear people describe the food as too spicy, and not in a hot sense. I didn't understand. I thought, I was like, oh, I didn't put any jalapeno in this one yeah. this time around. Like, why did I think it's too spicy? And then I noticed, I was like, oh, okay. There's a different different definition of spice. spiciness. It is seasoned. Like, <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Like, yeah. um, there's a spectrum of taste that's interesting to experience across America. And I've learned that I need to accommodate both the expert and the amateur and the novice. <laughs> so food is always adjustable. Mm-hmm. It can be changed. And that's really beautiful. <laughs> it is. I was talking uh, yesterday with um, Ali Cuerdo. So she directed this documentary called Ulam. Ooh. And we talked about that, about food being like it doesn't have to be boxed in. What's, what's really exciting about the way that people are approaching Filipino cuisine today is that there's a lot more even just that openness to like interpretation having a set of people and an audience like a set of people from the chef side who really want to experiment and know that they can unapologetically Mm. and the combination of having an interested audience and people who are learning a lot more about it because we now have this ecosystem of people writing about it pop-up dinners (laughs) and like just like bringing more awareness and stuff and an entry point to to filipino cuisine and even as you've mentioned with showdown it's not a filipino cookbook strictly but what's great is we really get a sense of how your filipino culture is played out as well in the kind of cooking that you do (laughs) yeah a lot of my entries for these competitions were to educate that was the biggest point there was one specific dish in there that features longanisa and champorado together. Yeah. And champorado is usually like a, a sweet chocolate dish. And I wanted to, well, this competition was at, hosted at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Okay. And it was the Chili Chocolate Festival. You could enjoy both of those things at once. And so they had a bunch of chocolate vendors, they had a bunch of chili vendors, and then they had a competition in the middle <laughs> where you had to combine both. And I did not know a single Filipino dish that combined both. Mm -hmm. So I had to make one. But instead of, um, you know, adding so much sugar to the champarado, we made it more savory. I took the idea of adding chocolate to mole Mm -hmm. and and just remade champarado in that way. Then I made my own longanisa, super spicy this time for the competition. And there are just people who were not expecting that, like, you know, and it's, this is a interesting challenge of, of Filipino food. You know, I grew up with it in mass. It was in, in bowls, it's in stews. And it kind of piles in a, in a way that is unappetizing to some cultures or some, some people who have never seen that before. And so visually, it's something that I, I try to work on um, to either recontextualize the ingredients and in food or... Um, introduce common elements like nacho chips, lumpia chips, you know, things like that that I grew up with. My experience with jobs and the things that I do is 
pretty multifaceted and I think that is how I approach food. There, I don't think that it can be wrong if it tastes good and it feeds you and you feel nourished, then wonderful, great. <laughs> and I sort of, you can see just flipping through the book and through my Instagram that uh, I'm influenced by a lot of things. And you can choose how many things or how much it it, it can impact you and for me I'm always hungry I'm always looking always reading much like you I'm always cracking open a book <laughs> about you know um, this or that and I'm like oh gosh I need to go look that up right now right now and that's what's exciting about keeping keeping it going and and moving on and, and changing and evolving Jen's story is of somebody who grew up in the U.S. with roots in the Philippines, and it's one of millions. The point of the show is to shed light on as diverse a set of stories as I can, knowing that it's never going to be perfect taking logistics and resources and stuff like that into account. But I do think that it's worth telling. And even that little breakthrough that my story and your story matters, that we don't have to wait for an organization or some other big entity to talk about something that's taboo. I'm slowly starting to learn that, to own that. And if no one's willing to do that in the Philippines, which is a place that I clearly care a lot about, where many of the people who I love still live, how do we as a culture stay afloat and thrive with these waves of change that sweep us up in with the rest of the world to become this one homogenized thing? And in a place where you can see both extremes of speaking your mind played out so differently, on one end, for example, where you have reporters who vanish after writing about farm workers going on strike, and the other end, where people say the craziest shit you can imagine on social media, that courage, that determination to speak your mind is something I really, really admire. Going against what's normal can get you in trouble, for sure, even when we talk about food. But if we can't talk about food without questioning authenticity every single time, how do we keep our food culture, which is such a big part of our identity, from simply fading away? sitting in this park bench in Brooklyn, a couple blocks away from the Museum of Food and Drink, where we're heading to next. As you can tell, we talk a lot about why we love to cook. And you can hear things like 
people walking their dogs pass by, you can probably hear a siren or two in the background, and a lot of likes pepper through our conversation because, well, that's just how we talk. And clearly, we can talk quite a bit about food because this conversation went on for a lot longer than this podcast episode is. Kidding aside, I asked Jen when she started competing in these local cooking throwdowns because I wanted to know, what was the vibe like? What were the people like? How did it lead to the Showdown Comfort Food Cookbook, which I now had? This was maybe cumulative eight years. Wow. Yeah. And I look back and I didn't realize that that much time had passed because I just mechanically would just be... (laughs) entering these things and like, okay, what's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? And it's, it's changes when you actually do win things. It, it, the dynamic changes because, you know, once you, I, I won uh, the bacon takedown. I was going to say. So this specific competition, they gave us 15 pounds of bacon to use. Okay. So it was sponsored. And so. Wait, 15 pounds to split between like. No, no, no. Per person. 15 pounds of bacon? Well, we had to make 200, <laughs> 300 bites of something. Right, right, right. Okay. And so I really, really wanted to make kare kare. <laughs> I don't know why. I got really stuck on it. I'm like, I just, I've been working on the, my kare kare for a long time. I just really want to make it happen for bacon. And eventually what happened. I made a, I, to the audience, it was a bacon peanut curry nacho. All right. Using the lumpia chips. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a Filipino would walk by and be like, hey, psst, it's, it's curry curry in here. <laughs> you want, you want some? <laughs> and it was interesting that previously, if I had just put this over rice mm-hmm. and showed it to, like, this room full of people, mm-hmm. they probably would have passed it by. Yeah. So that recipe won and I supposedly was going to get a year supply of bacon uh I got gift certificates for bacon afterwards and it was really tough because not every grocery store on my, around my area would accept them so no pallet of bacon on your front door. that's what I really wanted <laughs> I really wanted it because how glorious would that have been my eyes would have been stars poking out of my head I would like FaceTime my mom and be like, look at me now. (laughs) I have made it. I have made it once. So what I'm getting at is that once you win, you actually can't come back Mm -hmm. for um, the next year. It's just kind of not fair. So I had to take a little bit of a break from competing, which transitioned into judging, Mm -hmm. which is so fun. I had no idea I had a knack for it. (laughs) Holding a clipboard is one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) I declare this to be better than yours. No, that's that's the thing though. Um, No, I the thing that I love about competition coming from a judge's side now is we cannot compare against other days or other experiences. You only judge against the, the 30 people who are here and now what's the word i'm thinking of um like a jury mm-hmm. of like you know we're food. deliberating with our clipboards <laughs> but also i i really love it because for those of you have that have a costco near your house <laughs> part of my childhood was free samples at costco mm-hmm. and it is like that the little plastic cups and like it's also wonderful getting to know other chefs and hearing where they come from, 
how did this dish inspire you? And I see a lot of my story there too, which is so great. And I keep encouraging people at the end of every competition, before we announce any winners, I say, you all are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) You have spent money out of your pocket. You have, you were doing this unpaid. You were doing it because you love it. And that's amazing. And please keep doing it. Write your recipes down because I did not for the first four years. So when it came time to write the book, it was pretty difficult to round up the first um, half of <laughs> the recipes. I really had to dig into my email and Google Drive. On that note, I'd like to ask if you can talk a bit about put an egg on it. And I would love to. <laughs> um, so put an egg on it. It, a lot of people ask us about put a or put an. We know we know what the correct sentence structure is. We we know that it we choose not to. written <laughs> down. It says put an egg on it. Yes, okay. But the founders, Sarah and Ralph, um, the way that they approach it is, if you were arguing with your friend about how you were who is going to take the leftovers, no, I want it. No, I want it. No, I want it. I want to put an egg on it. That's exactly the argument that they had. (laughs) And that is the communal, the casual um, approach we take to food and art. So we're not just a food zine. We also um, try to tie in the art world and how food sort of plays its role there. And so from some issues, we have portraits of Andy Warhol. We have like historical pieces about uh, Cafe Florent which was a hub for um, a lot of artists. Didn't matter if you were poor or made tons of money, all of you could eat at Cafe Florent, you know, that, that sort of thing. So we love telling those stories. And I joined, oh, I don't even know how many years I've been with them, maybe three or, <laughs> three or four, I'm not sure. But Put an Egg on It is celebrating its 10th year in 2018. We love to have a theme every issue. Um, Previous themes were like canned food, so we were exploring a lot of oily fish. Um, and then another one was shame. Uh, I read that one. I, for that one, I submitted a recipe for mungo. Mung beans. Mung beans, yeah. Yeah. Um, growing, what was the shame association? When I was growing up, I was embarrassed when my parents would serve it. And I was afraid when my friends came over it. I was one afraid of it and two embarrassed that if anyone saw it in my lunchbox that so I would hide it. I was very, very ashamed. So my recipe that I've added to put an egg on it, um, I've added bacon, like big chunks. And um, yeah, and so it became more of a comfort than shame after that. But those are sort of the the themes and prompts that we work with. We love, um, we have one feature called Dinner Conversation where we invite three different artists from different backgrounds and we record their conversation at dinner and they are purposefully from different generations and so it's really interesting to give them a bunch of food and then either the food will inspire their conversation or just because of their experiences they'll Mm -hmm. have something interesting to talk about so that's something fun that we do. Put an Egg on It is a green zine. We are print only. We print on green paper. You'll see it at um, most independent bookstores and I believe Barnes & Nobles around the US. But we're available online, puteggonit.com.
on to the fun, random stuff. First off, I asked Jen about her penchant for the kind of thing that, to me, is also incredibly sexy. Something we're gonna call yolk porn. As in, busting the runny yolk of a fried egg with the yellow as deep as the sun. I love me a sea log porn. I, I love popping an egg yolk on camera. Yeah, it's, I'm obsessed. Very it's very sensual. And that's a, it's interesting. That's a feeling that um, we sort of suppress, I think, or that I was taught to suppress when I was, you know, growing up. Sensuousness. Yeah. Food specifically, or like? Yeah, yeah, just sensuous food. Because like, <laughs> growing up, it's like, I have my rice, I have my egg, I have my spam, <laughs> and I'm eating it, you know, because I need it to live, and uh, that's it. Like, there's no meditation or 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 sitting upon it or yeah. or digesting it mentally. And now, <laughs> I sort of spend time with my eggs, <laughs> and I and I really enjoy it. It's not just eating the way that I enjoy food, I, the way it looks, the way it feels when I poke it with a fork. <laughs> it totally lures you in. I love having fried eggs with rice and a smear of bagong because it's my I'm broke as hell, but I can eat well dinner with a little lachara from the jar I keep in my fridge. Last week, I put up a bookshelf in my new apartment, and so now, all I gotta do is look to my right and see my lovely little trilogy of Lucky Peach single subject cookbooks. Power Vegetables, The Worst of Lucky Peach, and All About Eggs. Eggs are essential. Next, they asked Jen if she'd heard about the study of foodways, which is the structured, very academic way of understanding how the history, the traditions, and the culture of a place basically create its food. I like that you said that. I did that for a month. <laughs> I was in um, Iloilo for a month. <laughs> And to learn, I found out that uh, there's a side of my dad's family that uh, all own restaurants. And I was shocked because I had never heard of that at all. They don't really talk about it. No, um, my dad's an engineer, my mom is a nurse. Like, that's it. That's all I was supposed to be. And when my both my brother and I ended up being in creative fields, <laughs> they were like, well, <laughs> may as well tell you. Well, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. We went to Bacolod too, took a ferry over, and I found I had a Tita Meli who owns a Spanish-style ranch house restaurant, Turo Turo style, mm -hmm. beautiful. I picked her brain for like two hours. How do you run this place? Like, what will you do, you know, when you want to retire? And so I learned so much from that trip. Even going to the farmer's market, you know, it's such a big social affair. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I highly encourage, you know, if you've never been back to seek out your roots, both in city and in the provinces. And, and finally, I had to ask about the Filipino recipes that made it into the book and the magazine. 
There's this recipe I love from Showdown Comfort Food called Adobo Wangs. It's so good. But what's with the misspell? That was something that I did with my roommates. I would creep around a corner and say, does anybody want some wangs? <laughs> and that's the origin of that. I don't know why it's wangs. Yeah, it's why I spelled it W-A-N-G-S. But that recipe um, uses the beginnings of a just traditional adobo recipe, which is simmering the gastrique, the uh, vinegar and the soy sauce together. And we use a hot marinade because it renders off some of the chicken fat in the skin and so that when you smoke it or grill it or bake it or fry it later, it is crispier. Yeah, less drippage and it's crispier and it soaks up more of the marinade. So basically proof that adobo really is the best thing ever, especially if we're talking chicken wings. My warmest thanks to Jen De La Vega, who I met last year in New York City. Follow her online at Randwiches, like sandwiches with an R, on Instagram, and pick up a copy of Showdown Comfort Food. I'm a fan of Jen's recipes, and I think you would be too. Our opening theme is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill and Blue Dot Sessions. Follow the show at Exploring Filipino Kitchens on Facebook and Instagram, and if you know someone else who might like it, please tell them about it. I'm already super thankful. Maraming salamat, and until next time, thank you for listening.